You're listening to The Pedestal from Mike on Much, presented by Much Studios. This is The Pedestal. I am here with Shane Christian Cunningham, who also joins me on our other podcast, The Mike on Much Podcast. Hi, Shane. And we are joined <laughs> by, he's also into very highbrow humor, we are also joined by our friend, Good-looking, great shape, <laughs> Mensa member. Speaking of highbrow, yeah. Award-winning writer, producer, director, Jonathan Popolis. Johnny, what's going on? Whoa. Yo, too far. Andy, uh, Andy's a man, master top, mimic. I thought it was topical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Since we are uh, swimming in the highbrow and this is the pedestal, today we are covering Mr. Stanley Kubrick, the master. <laughs> and that's why we opened with those wonderfully hilarious <laughs> fart noises. We laugh because you said pedestal. Did I say it again? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it works with the farting and the I shit. I love it. Yeah. Stool, poops. I don't know how to say pedestal. This that's is fantastic. The if you have been a consistent listener with us on this journey, you'll know that I really struggle uh, with the word pedestal, uh, pedestal, whatever. Uh, pedestal. <laughs> pedestal. Goodness gracious. I'll get it by the end. What, what do we have? A couple more? Yeah. yeah, I think we have two more. Maybe I'll get it by then. Okay, so like I said, today on the show, we are doing Full Metal Jacket by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, the context is this movie came out in 1987. It was the 23rd highest grossing film of 1987. You guys want to take some guesses at the top five? Should I get you started with maybe the fifth highest grossing? Sure. Moonstruck, starring Cher. Wow, really? filmed in Toronto. That's right. Oh, I, actually, I didn't know that. I said that like I was like, hmm, common fact. It's correct. 87. Yeah. 87. Back to the Future 2? Uh, it may have come out in 87, but it's not the top five, so All I'm guessing right. it didn't. Uh, number four, Good Morning Vietnam. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. Vietnam movie. There you go. That's going to come up in what I, my thoughts about this movie. Number three, confusingly, which is a sequel, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Right. Number two, Fatal Attraction. Really? Yeah. Started a whole I didn't wave. Know that was of, such a big uh, box office hit. As yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of it was the first one like it. And maybe in '87 there was a lot of guys messing around on their wives, so it was the ultimate <laughs> horror film for those guys. Uh, a lot of sweating guys in the theater, yeah. like looking at their wives. It was the original like Weinstein <laughs> revelation. Yeah. Like, oh geez. Uh, and the highest grossing film of 1987. Top Gun. No, you oh. guys will never get it. It's a comedy. Lethal Weapon. No. No. Mm. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. Oh. And, oh wait. Um, What's the one with the dads? He's got it. Whoa, really? Three leads. Yeah, three men and a baby. Ted Danson. Yeah, yeah. Leonard Nimoy directed. <laughs> you said we'd never get it. This is the second Nimoy. Well, we're wow. not doing Three Men and a Baby, but yes, Three Men and a Baby starring Ted Danson, uh, Steve Gutenberg, yeah. and Tom Selleck. Boy, and the baby, and the ghost underneath the, the bed. <laughs> My favorite clue, though, is when someone says you're never going to get it, because then I think of the thing that Mike would think I would never get. Which is the ultimate clue. Yeah. But your answer always ends up being three, three men and a baby. Three men and a baby yeah. was... <laughs> no matter what the context, that's, you'll never guess. That's outrageous. At three, I, didn't even, I would never have guessed that three men and a baby was like a box office smash. <laughs> hey, who's, who's excited to see three... Anyways, yeah. the 80s, man. What can I say? Yeah. It's, Everyone was uh, doing coke. I saw these three guys. You'll <laughs> never guess what they had with them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you not think that From is the unlikely? the mind of Leonard Nemo. Yeah. For a top grossing film of a year? That's three men... I mean, they did make the same. Outrageous. Yeah. 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 You're a little lady. All right. Okay. So, uh, yeah. I mean, this film, again, 23rd highest grossing film of 1987 is pretty good. It made $46.4 million on a $36 million budget. So, mm -hmm. again, North America probably made more overseas. As we know, uh, Kubrick shoots over there and goes over well. He did like a, a, what was it, a 12 or 13 year break in between his last film? 
It's a great question. From Barry Lyndon? No, that was like 70. No, because Shining was 79. So okay. it must have been 10 years, roughly. Right. No, 80. Shining was 80. So it was, yeah. So it was about seven years. The biggest break was between Barry Lyndon and Shining. No, it, had, no, it was what? between this and, and Eyes Wide Shut. Yes. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Mm. Tom Cruise. Big star. They all went over there and lived in London. They did for a, like a year and a half bit. They gave a lot of their lives to that yes, film. They did indeed. You guys like that film? I do. Yeah. yeah. Big yeah. time. I need to watch. I haven't seen it since like the early 2000s, so it's hard to have an opinion. because I rewatched a large swath of Kubrick movies before leading up to this one. And I, Eyes Wide Shut was I will say leading up to us recording this pod, because we had a bit of a break, uh, I feel like every text I got from John to our <laughs> little text group for this pod was just a fucking screenshot of a different Stanley Kubrick yeah. film. Yeah. Kubrick? I'm ready. Kubrick? That's a word I can never say right. I would say Kubrick. <laughs> it's like Kubrick. nuclear. Kubrick or Kubrick? Like 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 a cube? Like I think a it's Rubik's Kubrick. Coo. Coo. Like Kubrick. 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 No, Kubrick? Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <All Kubrick. right. laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I'm not some aficionado yeah. on the pronunciation of Stanley Kubrick's name. Okay, but what you are an aficionado on uh -huh. is whether or not a film should stay on the pedestal. Oh, boy. So, guys. <laughs> the mash of the segue. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> Full metal jacket. Uh, yeah. Another word I had trouble with was metal. I always want to say metal, metal, metal. right? Like like a D, like a yeah. metal in yeah. the Olympics. Um, guys, the banter's out of control today. Let's get <laughs> right to the film. You can tell we haven't notch. done this in ten a while. Out of ten. We're so amped, always <laughs> talking over each other, <laughs> really finding our way right uh -huh. here. Um, okay, so uh, the first time any of us saw this film, obviously, I don't think any of us were in the theater in 1987 when this came out, but I do remember me and my friends th sort of throwing this on when we were sort of late teens on VHS. Uh, so what are your thoughts? We'll start with you, Johnny, if you saw this in, in the 90s or whenever yeah, you saw Yeah, no, it I saw it. It was, it was a big, like, kind of... Uh, I, I don't think I even saw it before film school, if I remember correctly. And I think in, in film school <laughs> it went through, like, watch them all, like, watch every single one of his movies. Um, and my initial reaction to this was I couldn't believe how good the whole boot camp thing part was. I'll get into obviously this one. And then it hits the going to Vietnam. And I like, I don't even remember watching cause it was so boring to me that I had to shut it off. Like I mm. like hated it. So it was like years of the way I described this movie was it's like half a great movie, half a terrible movie. And that's my memory of this movie, like persistent at the time, at the time. Yeah. Fascinating for me. Uh, I was in my early 20s and I was in total like, I'm a filmmaker mode. I'm going to be a filmmaker. I thought I knew I, I could make a good or great film, like very naive. And then, so I knew Stanley Kubrick was a renowned filmmaker and I'd feel like a fool if I said he didn't make a good film. So I was totally influenced by that and thought I had to think every Kubrick film was amazing. Right. So I, I don't know if I actually did think it was amazing or if I was just influenced by what I was supposed to think, but I definitely thought I thought it was amazing sure. at the time when I saw it. Right. It's like that thing where it's like, well, this guy's considered a master. So even if certain things don't jive with me, I just know it's perfect. It's or, you know, I'm the problem. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I'm the problem if I didn't like this for some reason. I'm just not, I'm not there yet, but I want to get there to be a person who likes this movie. Yeah. Or yeah. you bend toward liking certain yeah. things. So it's funny because I was thinking back, and I do know this is a movie we put on like a few times 
We put used to put on a few of them. Who's we though? Uh, like me, like when we were younger, like we'd always stay at my buddy Lee's place. Like we'd sleep over on the weekends, and there was always like we'd always watch movies, like so many movies. Like I remember when Memento came out, we were all like, you know, like we love, you know, any of those movies, oh, yeah. like Seven or uh, Usual Suspects, like any of these kind of '90s movies that you became obsessed with. And when there was always other movies. And so Stanley Kubrick or Kubrick, uh, his films would get in the rotation, whether it was like The Shining um, or this. Uh, 2001. 2001. But this. This one more just because I think there was kind of a stretch there where just I, I think I don't know if it's like a teen boy thing in North America, but there's you end up kind of having a phase where you watch war movies. And I, I don't really know. Like, it's not it wasn't really my thing then, but I would always be at these sleepovers with like five of my buddies. And somehow this would come on or like, well, this casualties of war or platoon or one of these. All the all the 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 drill sergeant joke, like the all his comments and stuff to like a 17 year old. That's like that's gold. Like that's like 100 yeah. percent. So so the thing that I remember about that time is not that like, you know, when I thought back, I'm like, oh, yeah, we, that movie was on a lot. I was never like, that's one of my faves. But I do 100%, like you said, remember the Joel Sargent stuff. There were so many lines that stood out that, again, I haven't watched this movie since I was a teenager. So when he was doing his bits, I was like, shit, there's like jokes or just certain things that he says that we totally stole going forward. And I'd forgotten we'd stolen it. That's funny. From him, or we'd done a twist on it. or Like the reach around it. and all the... The reach around specifically. That's a big one. I bet you're the kind of guy that would fuck a person in the ass and not even have the goddamn common courtesy to give him a reach around. We made that's that a, joke. That's a big one. I honestly yeah. thought me and my friends made <laughs> that joke. Like, we had like a gag about one of our buddy's dads, and it's juvenile now, being gay. He wasn't, but we were like, ah, you know, it's like... Uh, your dad was trying to get with me, and he wouldn't even be kind enough to give me a reach around. Like, that was a bit that we See, would say. I'm... S- I didn't know. I don't understand the reach around part. What does that mean? Gonna, uh, it means like, if you're having sex with someone from behind a man, yeah, you can jerk him off. Give him the help. Oh, that's you're, what, get, oh. you're getting all the pleasure, so you got to ah. help him out too. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> so you're supposed to uh, jerk the guy off while you're getting you bum fucking. It's him. the play right. thing to do. Ah. It's a perfect joke. You wouldn't even have the common courtesy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's just so obvious, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> so that was like, we had like a version of that joke for the next couple of years. And I didn't remember or I'd forgotten that we absolutely must have stolen it from the, right. the from Full Metal Jacket. Do you know the story of the actor who plays that man? I ended up, go- I knew it loosely and then ended up kind of reading that guy's dude or that dude's sort of bio or whatever after. But yeah, he's, a, he's an actual drill sergeant. He'd been yeah. in the, yeah. So he was hired. I'm just telling the audience. Let now. them hear. So he was hired to uh, coach the actor who was hired for the role and then he ended up superseding him in skill, talent and bravado and all that and then he was hired on to be the actor and they fired the other guy. They didn't they didn't just fire him. He is They now, killed him. No, they murdered him. <laughs> he's the guy they re, they put he instead put him he's the guy who's firing uh uh the machine oh, gun out of the helicopter. I was going to say cuz that guy was horrible. That's the guy <laughs> that's the guy. That's the guy who was originally cast as as the drill that sergeant. That guy was not good. The guy that was just taking out the civilians Yeah, and civilians the, and being yeah. like Maybe the it was just he had, he had awkward lines, but that guy was not good. He, that was such a caricature too. Mm-hmm. Who knows yes. if he was directed to act that way, but When he said war ain't, ain't it war's Grant. hell, man. War's yeah. hell. Yeah. That was delivered. Give horribly. him a lead. Yeah. yeah, I made note of that line. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Uh, yes. So yeah, so so to answer the question, what do I remember of it? It was loosely around a lot, but I don't. I wasn't like it wasn't a movie where I was like, "That's my fave," and <laughs> I was impressed, if not impressed, but surprised when I rewatched it a couple nights ago at how many of those drill sergeant lines. Right. I was like, "Shit, we stole that, we stole that," and I'd forgotten that we we lifted it. Is his name Army too? The drill sergeant in real life? Yeah, Ernie. Oh. Right, Ernie. I I it was Ernie. Army. No, Arlie Ernie. 
Oh, okay. Kubrick, Kubrick. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's what we thought then. So we might yeah. as well go to uh, the first part of, of, of what we always do on this podcast, and that is the case for keeping it on the pedestal. Uh, so what did we like? Who would like to start? I like when pop starts. Yeah? yeah. I Okay. Well, then let me ask this first. Is it possible to take the entirety of the first 45 minutes, the boot camp, and just say that all in and of itself is on just it's I think it's perfect. I think it's I think it's I think that if you just showed me that movie as a 45 minute movie, I might say that's Kubrick's best movie. I think it's mm-hmm. incredible. So I'm saying, do you disagree? Do you I find it almost flawless? Like if it, if it was just that, there would be no discussion about this movie. What's the question here, Pop? The question is, <laughs> is that can I put the entirety of that entire first part on the positive side? As a side? separate film? Just to be like, I don't even, I don't, I, there's no possible way I could say a negative thing about that first 45 minutes. I'm saying, if we're talking about the positives, the reason to keep it on the pedestal. So you just want to say, so let's say. We'll we, talk about, I'm just saying, I'm just, all, all I'm saying is the first 45 minutes of the movie <laughs> is perfect. Let me just say that. How about that? So that falls yeah, in the good you category. Could, you could say that. I'm but, wondering okay. if you guys agree. How about that? That's... Well, okay, but let's say we ended up seeing a film that was two hours and 45 minutes uh-huh. of it, and we had a podcast about it, and it was like, can I just say two hours and 45 minutes? <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> but I mean, but it. that's but though that's that would be a movie not great for this podcast. Like the, it's the the like I, I would say that The Shining would be a difficult movie to do for this podcast because I do believe All the right. movie okay. is almost. I'd say Perfect. you can say that, but we can't segment it. So, so, so okay, but so overall, let, we let have me, to rate let it. me just start there and say that the first forty-five minutes of this movie, the boot camp part, the part with Gomer Pyle and and their entire Joker time Pyle. there in South Carolina was a Texas. flawless, flawless filmmaking. Like what was good about it? What made it perfect? To the, Shane's point, the the idea that. For a movie that's like his anti-war movie, instead of showing a bunch of guys in the jungle or a bunch like all this stuff, it's it's start it's it's the idea of the entire industrial war complex to begin with. Like starting the movie with like shaving their head, like the first thing you see is like uh, their identities kind of being stripped away, and we never learn any background about anyone. It's just these like shells of human beings, and the entire first part is how do you turn human beings into just regimented soldiers? And you know what I mean? Like, and that to me, that's a bigger statement on war than watching those guys go out and get machine guns and start shooting at people. Right. I thought, yeah, I th- the first part, I think most people would, I would agree, really I th- enjoy. Yeah. Cause it's, it makes, it made me feel like I was one totally in the movie, which made me feel like, oh, I know what it's like to be in boot camp. And that's kind of like I think the goal of any movie is to make the audience feel totally immersed. And it it did. It made me feel like fuck, waking up and jogging at six AM would be so annoying. And did you relate all this more to Joker or any of the other guys or Gomer Pyle in particular? Uh well, Joker mostly. Yeah. See, I felt yeah. I related to the Gomer Pyle guy. Yeah, you could have the guy who just is like Sort of silly, and then like, 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 no matter how you much thought Gomer Pyle thought it was silly, just that he's like kind of smirking in the beginning, and how like he's like, like I don't take, he's not ne- <laughs> never taking this fully serious. I mean, obviously, no, I, I know, I know <laughs> he, what you mean. He gets to a point where he takes it very seriously. But he still has like a humanity. He didn't quite know what he gotten into at yeah. first. Like, you, at, really, you when, think that? when when dudes yelling, 
there's like an awareness of the Vincent D'Onofrio character, uh, Pyle, where he's kind of like, this is silly. Like, he can't help but laugh at the drill sergeant with all the swear words and the insults. Like, he's he's still outside of the experience, whereas everyone else is in it. And so when he's like, he can't stop himself from laughing at it the way that any of us would. He's still sort of a civilian and an individual in that way. And I think that, that whole first 45 minutes is the deconstruction of him, and that's why he's lost his mind. Wait, you don't think from the beginning of the film, he has... A mental problem, maybe that's, an extremely I'm low IQ. About that you, could, you could make that argument for sure. And I, I think that's another commentary this movie's making that the army is purposely take. preying on and pulling in guys like that who are clear. Like, I was wondering, my question is, is he mentally handicapped? Right. Or so is he's, he you're saying he's slow? challenged. I would think it's blatantly obvious and not even I wasn't a question. Sure. I wasn't sure if he was mentally well, handicapped I don't or know. if he was like, just extremely slow. It, well, he, he, yeah, he you could be I, yeah. slow and withdrawn. Like, like I, I liken it to the piggy character in Lord of the, of the Flies. Like, that's it's good. like, he's easy to pick on because he's not as physically fit. So is his, like, withdrawnness or his inability to communicate because he knows he's a loser and an outsider and that the sergeant's picking on him? Or is, like he, you said, is he actually, like, mentally challenged? And I don't know the answer to that. To me, I took it more like he's a guy that can't fit in. He's not, he's, like... How can he even answer anything because he's just so shitty at everything? He's he needed a guy to do his buttons up for them. He couldn't even do uh, th that task. In the, in the end, he became obsessed with the gun and became very proficient at mm -hmm. that. But uh, when you heard him talk, like, nobody likes me. Like, he didn't speak in a normal right. manner. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I was curious myself as to where that line was drawn on where his, like, mental capacity yeah, was. Yeah, like, clearly he was slow in every capacity. Mm -hmm. I, I guess, you know, the buttons thing is an interesting point. Again, I thought it was like he's just become so beaten down by the process and incompetent that he's lost his confidence and all that. But you could totally be honest on that. I, did not, I didn't read it that way as far as, like, they've taken a mentally challenged person and it's really unfair. I took it more like, uh, like what do you do if you physically can't do the work? Yeah. Like, you're just going to, you're fucked. And it's like that is, like, becomes like a domino effect where you then become, like, it's hard to communicate, it's hard to do anything. But maybe from the outset, you know, like to, right. when he's smirking at the beginning, I don't think he's doing it like, oh, man, I just can't take this seriously. And the, this is a joke. I think he's like he's saying funny swear words and uh, poo poo humor. And, and he just I'm can't smiling. Help I think of it the way that if, if you're ever in the principal's office and the principal's yelling at you and you can't stop yourself from laughing. No, I think Matt Modine's more of a guy like that. Matt, he was Joker like, that's character. why he was making the, right. the John Wayne impression and the yeah, like yeah. he was rebelling a bit yeah. still, you know. Although I, I did find that part a little weird. Like I'm not, I wouldn't put it in the bad category, which is why I'm talking about yep. it now. But maybe you guys can help me, and if you think it's weird, like he made the John Wayne imitation, which got him in total shit, got him like physically punched in the stomach. That you, John Wayne, is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? And then. He was one of the more obedient guys in the film. Because he, his, I mean, his journey ultimately is he's a guy who wants to be a killer. He want like, he is a guy who's, like, really into this idea of the army, even though he's, and they, I mean, he, they say it later, the duality of man is such a huge part of what this movie is, and even says it out loud. But the idea of he both thinks that war is silly, and he himself wants to be, like, a macho man killer guy. So he's always at odds, like, with himself. Why did he go to the uh, media uh, unit? Because he wrote for his high school newspaper. I'm not sure. I, that, I didn't. I wasn't 100 percent sure about happened. that myself. To what you said, there's something fascinating about like the machine that is recruitment of soldiers and the training of soldiers and sort of like ensuring the obedience of soldiers and the not questioning. Mm -hmm. But the difficulty is, it's really hard to not question authority or like. 
Like if you're at a certain, and, and this isn't to say that like soldiers aren't intelligent or anything like that, but maybe like, I imagine it'd be hard if you're someone that has a journalistic leaning and honestly the whole point of journalism and writing about stuff is pretty much to get to the truth and to sort of be like um, unfiltered and, and present things for how they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it would seem being a soldier and, and, and not questioning the orders you're given is at odds with those two things. So it's kind of weird to have a military reporter anyway. It's interesting, yeah. So is the idea that it's like, this is somebody who has it in them to be, to fall in rank and file, but then they also are a writer. Well, especially since the first, has the, skill set the first meeting he has at that Stars and Stripes is basically, you are not a writer. This isn't journalism. This Morale is propaganda. Boosting. This is just propaganda. Yeah. This is war propaganda. You are either writing about... Uh, a soldier who did something good, or so, or, uh, or or our successful efforts abroad. Yeah, it's all, it's exactly. the only two things you're allowed to write. So how is that possibly journalism? That's not. That's nothing. Right. And he even and so he even will question it, but then he'll go and still do it. Right. And you maybe get that gig because you're the best writer out of a pool of people that yeah. don't necessarily care to do that sort of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting question, but like I, I think to to your point, but what we really liked about this film is that first 45 minutes does show you, you know, the minute you're getting your head shaved to like the breaking down of people's individuality. Mm-hmm. Although still, though, also giving them like, you know, Texas, Joker, Pile, they're all getting these kind of names, yes. which in its own ways. Which is another cowboy, way of breaking you down. You What's don't that? even know their names. Cowboy. Cowboy. Sorry. Yeah. He's from Texas. Yeah. Where there's only, as uh, the sergeant said, steers and queers. Holy dog shit, Texas, only steers and queers come from Texas, private cowboy. And you don't much look like a steer to me, so that kind of narrows it down. And that's the other thing I was saying that uh, what I love, especially about that first part, is that it's sort of, it is a heavy drama, but it is a, co- like, I laughed at, like, yeah. everything that Troll Sergeant said, and you're supposed to. So it's like this, like, Stanley Kubrick immediately saying, like, there's this is there's no genre. It's a war movie, I guess, but it's a war movie where no one's at war for the first hour of but, the movie. Well, well, the best is that uh, the sergeant opens up saying, like, don't worry about racism, kind of, because yeah, here's then, a place where everyone's equal, everyone's, like, mm-hmm. slime. Yep. And then you're like, oh, okay, that... That's interesting. And then he goes on to be very racist and homophobic with all yes. his insults, which was the perfect setup for me to like. Start and it's, laughing. But it's, yeah. and it's a perfect way to sort of, in the context, like start breaking everyone down. It's like, seriously, like I don't even think he's racist. Mm-hmm. I think he just knows the right buzz. I think that's what the drill sergeant is saying. Just, I know the things that are going to say that are going to freak you out to the point they're going to break you down. Is the drill sergeant a bad guy? Is there a villain in that first? Like, does D'Onofrio become a villain? Is he, is there, is there an actual villain in this movie? It's a good question, you know, because I don't think the sergeant, it's tough because really, like, what are we supposed to walk away from that thinking? Oh, like, you mentioned it. Like, what is this whole construct and the way that we find soldiers and we train them? And, like, everybody's a cog in the machine, and the machine has to work if you want to have an army. And if you want to defend your country, you have to have an army. Now, obviously, the whole idea of going into Vietnam and fighting in other wars, a lot of people are like, what the fuck are we doing there? But if you do ever have some sort of domestic threat, it's like, we all need the military. And mm-hmm. none of us soft-ass guys yeah. are going to, like, I sign ain't Well, we haven't <laughs> thus far, you know? And who yeah. knows what would happen in a real crisis or war? So that being said, you do need an army and obviously like soldiers need to understand their place and you know, that takes some breaking down if you're, you know, so that sergeant is doing probably what he thinks is the most effective and he's probably been proven right over the 20 years he's been a Marine drill sergeant. So in that sense, it's like, he's actually just good at his job. Yeah, that's what I mean. I don't think he's, and and yet like since, but he's still like a shitty person on ostensibly, especially not like, I don't know, like do you, you laugh. But you go, fuck, oh, he's, he's a an, tormentor. He's like, an he's asshole. tormenting like, these people. I would hate to be the soldier being yelled at. And I wouldn't get off on being the power, 
like Matt, like that guy has all the control and he lets you know it because they need to think that way in order to perform as soldiers. They need to have a higher. He's like the teacher in Whiplash. He's just terrifying, except his job or uh, title is more justified in the the military or the army because they're going to face some crazy shit that they've never seen before and they almost need to have that inappropriate behavior shocked whiplash out of is, whiplash is great because whiplash like there's no like jk simmons isn't really the villain of whiplash the villain is the need for perfection and just like in this like i think the villain is like war it's the idea of preparing young men for war in and of itself is the and the villain of the movie the overarching antagonistic part of this movie so like yes the drill sergeant's an asshole but he's doing his job and vincent d'onofrio becomes like a fucking psychopath but he was completely pushed there through a set of circumstances and you know like you said the construct of of you know the army and the military the marines or whatever is cold and very functional and maybe not very empathetic or like conducive like but that's the reality of it and the truth is so like we're supposed we watch that and we walk away and we go oh man like war is hell and what these guys are going through do you go like it's shit man like tear it all down tear down the construct or do you go this is a, a necessary like evil, if right. you even want to call it that, or a necessary I think this, I think function. Kubrick was very overtly anti-war. Though. Like, it's I think like very yeah. overtly, right? But are we anti like method? Let's uh, talk. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can be anti like Vietnam War, anti whatever, and be like peace man. But the truth is, there isn't always going to be peace. So, like, I don't know. I, I always feel very conflicted whenever I watch something like this because I'm like, I know what I feel. I know the visceral feeling when I'm seeing something like this but then i also intellectually i'm like well i don't really know what the alternative is is it like hoping that we all hold hands and that there is no fighting ever like yeah and i just i don't know what the better methods are again i like i don't know i i i think it's more just a commentary stepping even further outside of that of the fact that that the fact that it's impossible to not fight that's the stupid part like mm-hmm. that's what he's saying he's like he's just it's almost like he's like, like you humans are the like, humans are crazy yeah. the fact that we really have to do this and yes we end up having to do it but just why do we all accept this like i don't so, like what what is the reason why we have to do it though i'm not smart enough to understand because, war. i don't get it because eventually there'll be some per- we don't we don't have to but mm-hmm. eventually there's going to be some aggressor who will push you into it let's say at some point the way that like you know hitler mobilized an army and they decided to start taking over parts of europe mm-hmm. and pushing into poland and they can't defend themselves well now they're you know they're yeah. the german occupation let's say that like a Russia or a China or whomever decided that, you know what, we're actually going to take our shot at the States. One of the reasons they don't is because the military is so robust and prepared to go to war, meaning it would be a, a losing battle or it'd be a draw with any one of those other big militaries, let's say, like in China. Yeah. So the if, say that, that America didn't do that and they said, hey, man, like let's just prosper and all be like, all have these wonderful sort of middle class jobs, whatever, and the American dream, then the idea is everybody will be ripe to be taken over or taken advantage of if you don't have the safeguards in place. I say just have that nuclear bomb and then just don't do any of the fighting and just go, hey, like, I'm going to push the button if you guys don't behave yourselves. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, hey, you know, it's that, true. Hey. Well, therapy, like, yeah. it's either peace or annihilation. Like, I don't like fighting and all that's horrible. It's like Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. It's the entire point of that movie. Well, yeah, the whole the nuclear bomb is supposed one. to be a deterrent. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Yeah. I, I, again, and it's like, like you said, so, but I mean, the alternative of like, yeah, I guess, I guess once like you have the, the deterrent, nuclear- like, you have, like the idea of deterrent. Yeah, we have the ultimate deterrent, right? Is world destruction or like half the world or whatever. And then if we launch it, they launch it. And that, that should keep us both at bay, hopefully. Yeah. That's just my but idea. Then, but, <laughs> but see, but, but that, but that deterrent, that is sort of what ended up leading to the Vietnam War because the idea of, 
well, we're going to fight someone who's not you then. And we're like, you're communists. And since I can't fight Russia, we're, that's sort of how Vietnam kind of started in the first place. Because like this aggression just sort of bubbles out somewhere. Like it's just going to happen. Like the Vietnam War was like borderline pointless because there was the America didn't have like a beef with Vietnam or they're like, they didn't wouldn't didn't actually matter to the average American whether or not North Vietnam invaded South of Vietnam. It's all just about you per, trying to prevent communism from spreading around the world. Mm -hmm. And even that's the, the uh, we haven't really talked about the second half of the movie. Well, um, we're still on the good. So, so what, what else are we good, like? I, I'm some yeah. good. There's, there's still good in the second half, and there is the whole thing in the second half for like, well, why are we doing this? And the guy's like, for freedom. He's like, for freedom. He's like, what? How, how does that, what does any of this have to do with American freedom? Like, it's ridiculous. What are, like, there were a couple. I felt like in that second half, and I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure we're all saving the second half for uh, the second part of our pod and reasons to knock it off. Mm -hmm. But some of the good I did like in in the second half was. Um, I thought the scene where they were interviewing the soldiers, where they all kind of got to talk to the camera mm -hmm. and sort of explain things was interesting. You know, like the one soldier said, you know, they'd rather be alive than free, I guess. You know, poor dumb bastards. Right. He's talking about the, you know, the domestic people in Vietnam who weren't going to help the effort because they, they just wanted to survive yeah. and then hope that poor you know, dumb bastards, poor exactly. dumb bastards. But it's like inside they, every gook, there's a, an American ho just waiting to get out. Like that's like, that's the, I, that's the main idea. Yeah. Well, it's like it's the, sad. And, and the idea that it's like, you know, if you're the soldier, like we're here to help them, but instead of them helping us help them, they're just going to try and survive. Right. And then he's like, poor dumb bastard. But it's like from where most people are sitting, it's like survival is the ultimate thing, you know, especially I mean, I don't know. But it's 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 thought provoking. Some of the stuff that the there were said. some extremely thought provoking stuff in that second half. Are I've, you talking about uh, the miso horny part? Miso horny. You keep lying. Me love you a long time. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Another iconic. A lot of iconic lines came yeah. out this film. I wanted oh, to yeah. ask you guys: Did did this movie invent me so horny? Yes. Yeah. They, like the idea of and like, me love you long time and that into like rap songs and oh yeah, that was just taken out of this movie. So the uh, the me so me horny, me so horny. And I like big butts is yes. from that. Yeah. Yes. I figured sampled from this movie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's. I think that's the most iconic part of this film. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it's. When I was watching the the first 45 minutes and the drill sergeant go off, I was like, shit, man. I'm like, we must have watched this. We probably ended up watching the first 45 a ton. Just because, again, that performance is so charismatic, you know, as, as much as it is, like, you know, terrorizing and sort of all of those things. But, like, the best part of you ran down your daddy's leg. Literally, that like, that mm -hmm. joke st stuck around. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I also, like, the line, it made me laugh because I'd forgot about it. It's like, how tall are you? He's like 5'9". Five five nine. Nine. He's like, I didn't know they piled shit I that high. I didn't know they piled shit that high. I'd forgotten that. That's my that. favorite. That's yeah. I was easily like, my favorite line. That's funny. Yeah. And he, he asked him if he was lying about an inch or whatever, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, and then Mary Jane Rotten Crotch. I completely forgot. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, of course, right. And then them all naming the the, the guns, the girl, and all of the, we don't know. What I'd, I'd forgotten a lot of that stuff. And this is my rifle. This is my, like, uh, there, there's my many gun. other rifle. Oh, there's that one. But I was like, this is my rifle. There's many other rifles, but this one is mine. How heartbreaking was the soap scene? Oh, I, I teared up. That oh. was hard. When, and when Matt Modine's listening to him cry. And, and then Matt he Modine goes for a couple to hits. to be the one to hit him. Yeah. If, and he hits him more than anyone. You know why, though? Just, please, I please. wondered that. Because they're setting Modine up to be sort of this, like, somewhat independent thinker, you know, because he's right. the guy that did the John Wayne voice and, you know, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And he's helping pile it was like when he, like I thought he'll hit him once and that'll be that. When he goes off, is that his frustration at having no, I, to help this so. this guy? Like, like you dumb bastard, just why fucking be good. Why won't you yeah. get yes. this through your okay. head? Like that's what it is. That's it's what I felt like, too. Like yeah. it was he didn't like it. It made him, and then once he did it, he couldn't mm -hmm. help yeah. his frustration with him. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh fuck, that was a tough scene to watch. It man. was.
And his arc, do like do like, and that's to go back into. I don't think the entire second half is just a wash. I do like because of Joker's character, the idea of this guy who started the movie sort of like jokingly, I want to be a killer, and then by the end when he has to like kill the sniper, the girl, the teenage girl, like that arc and 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 slow his to start from just standing in that line to what he has to do with Gomer Pyle and seeing Gomer shoot himself and shoot the drill sergeant and seeing everything mm. he had to see in Vietnam, like that's that's an interesting arc. It's just what got me there through the second half was sort of the more questionable part of whether it's enjoyable to watch. I think it's more fun to talk about the second half of the movie than it is to actually watch it. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, you mentioned uh, when Joker gets to Vietnam and he's in that uh, meeting with the, the head of like mm -hmm. whatever, the media agency. Did you know who that actor was? I recognized him. And no. I, so his name is uh, John Terry and he plays Jack's dad in Lost. Oh man! But he was young, <laughs> young version of yeah. that. Yeah. So Wait, I know which which one is this? So he's the guy that's giving out the assignments. That's funny. the good looking guy. The very yeah. good looking. Because I was like, that guy's really good looking. I know. Where do I know him it's from? Jack's dad. So I IMDb'd him. The ghost on the island. Yes. <laughs> Who's Jack? Uh, from Lost. Uh, from Lost. I know. Is is that the one from Party Five? Yes, Matthew, Matthew Fox? Fox. Yeah. Okay. So the guy that plays his dad, who's wow. obviously much older, but in '87 he's just like this good-looking guy. So I ended up. Wow. This is a total side thing, wow. but because I was like, shit, what's the deal with that actor? Turns out he's a native Florida Floridian, discovered acting through a series of fortunate events while building custom log homes in North Carolina. And after performing in a few local theater productions, he moved to Alaska, where he helped start a river rafting company. What? On his 30th birthday, he moved to New York and tried acting full-time. That's kind of like Harrison Ford's story. That's amazing. Bit, yeah. yeah. Just, you know what? Wow. And yeah, and then all of a sudden- And I was Jack's dad. Yeah, at 30 years old. Mm -hmm. But that's understand. like Harrison Ford, isn't it? Yeah, what was like he I was a carpenter. I think that's more of an urban. I think he was working as a carpenter, but he wasn't a working actor. Like well, he, he was, was doing carpentry on sets, though. Yeah, but he was also auditioning, doing auditions and trying. And he was. He wanted to be. An he actor. was like 40 in uh, Indiana Jones, though. How old was he? When he, he, was, he was. He, he was. Pretty old. Like he was closer yeah, he to was that. He was just sort of like. More of a failed actor. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's like kind of like the Adam Driver thing too, because everyone's like, "Oh, he's like this Marine," but it's like he tried. He auditioned yeah. for Juilliard before he joined the Marines. He didn't get in, and he was kind of feeling lost. And then it was when he got discharged for the injury, he got back into Juilliard. Like it's mm -hmm. like this is a guy that hadn't. It wasn't like he just kind of fell into it, and he's like right. this kind of natural. It's like these guys are usually. It's yeah. like that thing about Kurt Cobain, where they're always like, like Kurt's like, "I never wanted to be famous." Blah blah. blah. It's like, well, it's funny you keep uh, finding you yourself in positions so yeah. that you can get what you want. <laughs> yeah, but then you don't want to admit to the ambitions. Yeah. For some reason, hmm. it's better for his brand. It's better for a lot of this. It's better for the Harrison. Maybe Ford he even brand. tells himself that, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't want it. It just happened. Yeah, but it's like, why did you keep finding yourself near like a piano? Or you know what I mean? Anyway, mm -hmm. so anyway, that good-looking guy in that scene uh, for nice. you listeners is is the guy that plays Jack's dad in Lost. Interesting. Um, okay, so what was the best scene in this film? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I'd say when Gomer goes nuts. Seven six two millimeter. Full metal jacket. Just because I can almost say the entire first 45 is because it's kind of a one-act play, right? It's sort of a, yep. like build, 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 build. And then like... It's almost like a 45-minute short film. Yeah, And that's the end is. of the movie. I love it. Like yeah. I, I, I've, I've said that before. You can almost think of it that way. Um, but yeah, when he had the full culmination of everything that that was building to and it like paid off perfectly where he is now like an absolute nutbag and then yelling at him and shooting from this full metal jacket and it's and it's done perfectly hmm. shaney boy yeah i think just the i'll just say the first five minutes the opening when uh the sergeant's walking up and down critiquing everyone hmm. i'm gonna go uh me love you long time 
That's is that which hooker scene? There's two hooker scenes. Uh, the one where he gets his camera stolen. Right. I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with Shane. It's it's when he first when we first see this sergeant in his full yeah. glory unloading. And you know you're what? Going, that's probably the right answer. Fuck. I'll like, change my answer to that. I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And you just kind of like take it, it in. Catches you so mm -hmm. off guard. It, it's a shock. It's funny. You don't. You're like I shouldn't be laughing. He you're was. Like, this that, is insane. That actor was like practicing by having uh, him and this production assistant were throwing like a tennis ball yep. super hard back and forth to each other while he was saying his. How the, lines. the idea of like you have to be able to say your lines super fast and super perfect with super precision and he, and he nailed it like nailed it he had uh, so from his like the audition tape thing Kubrick apparently took a bunch of this guy's stuff and wrote it in so a lot of that like he has like a, a writing credit I believe on it because a lot of that is his own material wow and he went on to act in uh, some other films. Bunch too. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's always playing a drill sergeant of some kind. Yeah, yeah he got typecast. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, but Is yeah. he one of the best Kubrick characters of all time? Most One of the most iconic. I, I mean, think so. Aside yeah. from maybe, what, Jack in The Shining or okay, Hal? I have a, yeah. I don't know. Like, who else is up there? Like... Well, here's Johnny and... Uh, just Jack. So I would say Jack Torrance is probably number one. Yeah. Hal, so what, number two? Hal, I guess so. Fuck, Hal's yeah. iconic, man. And then, I, I mean, I didn't want Doctor, Doctor Strangelove is my favorite. Yeah. But I mean, and from Clockwork Orange, like he's, oh, he's very yeah. good Malcolm at Malcolm McDowell in a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, he is Orange. very good at creating like very indelible characters where you don't even need much backstory to them. They just appear and they just seem to be like you're captivated like immediately. Hal's like a perfect example. Like Hal is literally a computer and uh, he is one of the more captivating characters of all time mm -hmm. um okay best performance and i think this is actually usually we're pretty definitive on the best performance mm -hmm. in one of our films i think this one is, is a toss-up yeah this between tricky. ernie and vincent d'onofrio that's what i would say yeah certainly well, not fucking modine for me no not modine. <laughs> you didn't like modine we'll get to modine there's, oh, I like there's issues with modine in this movie oh i love yeah. modine. um Okay. It says right there, don't love Modine in this movie. <laughs> that proves it. There it is. We it's, wouldn't we would have taken your you word. Would have, you wouldn't yeah. believe me. You would have thought that I was making it up on Typed the top up of my and head. signed. Yeah. He initialized. Now, see, now I'm tempted to say Modine just because oh. I liked him so much. Wow. But fuck, man. Because geez, this is hard. Because he did kind of make me cry, Vincent D'Onofrio, when he was crying. But the sergeant, that was, I feel like I've seen dumb, low intelligence people act that way before, and I felt for them. Whereas a sergeant like that, charismatic, scary, all that stuff, I, you don't really see it outside of um, Whiplash. I haven't seen that too often. Mm -hmm. So I say whatever the fuck that man's name Arlie is. Arlie Ernie. Arlie Ernie is what I say. What a weird name. Uh, D'Onofrio gained 70 pounds for that role. And it was a. It was well, here, here's the thing. He actually was a bigger guy. He lost 76 pounds wow. to appear in a film less than six months later called really? Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, right. Because he, he was like the Thor. jacked up guy, Thor, right? like skinny in The mechanic. Right. I forgot you, you, about that. But you would think when watching it, you'd <laughs> think, oh. had a weird career. <laughs> you, but you would think he gained the weight yeah. for uh, Full Metal Jacket. No, he lost it for Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, what I read was that Kubrick said you have to gain weight. So he gained weight he for the He did, role. but he was a big guy. So he lost... He just, oh. he just gained it to be a total chubbo. chubbo and then he became this totally... Th 
thin he's, dude. Yeah, Thino. he's like jacked yeah. up in that movie, right? He's more skinny than anything. It's, it's, they just shoot him. He's like, not that I jacked. Guess, you know, maybe my memory and of that. They movie got him is... in that mechanic sofa where they roll up the sleeves, Bruce Springsteen style. Uh, but like, it's the only time he's actually. So we all been... agree, Vincent Offer is very sexy in Adventures in Babysitting. In Adventures in Babysitting, he's a hunk. It's the yeah. only movie he's really been good looking. In the player, he's... and Men in Black. Is is he a hunk? No, he's like he's got the neck thing. He's the villain. Yeah, in in the place. In the player, though, <laughs> <laughs> but in the player, he's kind of uh, just the normal way. And then every other movie for the rest of his career, he's been a, a chubbo. What was he in the player? He was, I think, an executive. Do you, like the, um, do you know the player? Yeah, the lead was uh, what's his name there? Uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah, right. And then so he was like one of the executives, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I will say for me, I am. It is tough because I think D'Onofrio is great, but I think you just made a wonderful point, Shane, which is I've seen a version of that D'Onofrio character many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to think even bef- before that, if we went back through films through the 80s and 70s and 60s, but I, I, I can't think of anyone like quite like that Sergeant character, which was wholly original. And I do think one of a kind. Like I don't think other actors could have quite did what that guy did mm-hmm. in that way with, like you said, the charisma, the, the terror, um, the force, the, the comedy. Like that shit's... Hard to do. I do wonder how much that guy was acting, but who Still, cares? It's hard to play yourself. Performance is performance. Yeah. No, I agree. That, I mean, that, that, there's a reason he's standing. Like, he's the one that, like, when I think of this movie, he's the person I think of immediately. And it's, a, it's like, that's like you said, very, very unique character. That ima- Like, imagine that movie with the, the gunner in the helicopter playing that role. Yeah. Like, it would have been a completely different. Like, the I don't even know if the drill sergeant character becomes an iconic character he just sort of gets lost they just amongst... would have been scenes yeah, yeah. well the joe well joker and go and gomer pile it becomes more about them in the first half and okay well fellas that wraps the part uh that we have as far as the reasons for keeping it on the pedestal uh and now we move on to reasons to knock it off the pedestal uh the case against keeping it on so what has aged badly what uh, was bad even then what are its flaws we'll start with what has aged badly well i think Definitely the reveal that the sniper was a woman. I think it's supposed to kind of blow your mind and be shocking, but we're, you know, enough time's gone by and we've kind of seen any switcheroo and thing. Mm -hmm. And the idea that a woman, like back then, a woman, if a woman was a doctor, it would probably be shocking. Mm -hmm. But to have a woman be the sniper... Well, we need a medic. It's a female medic to save the woman sniper. No. <laughs> well, there used to be a famous riddle. What? It's like pushing in yeah, like yeah. on their faces. But no, no, I, I hear you. But when I was young, there was the the riddle. It was like uh, you know someone wor- is working on the sun, and the sun's dead. And yeah, the like- son and the dad get in the car crash, and the son goes to the hospital, and the doctor's like, "I can't operate. It's my son." Who's the doctor? And everyone's like, what? People would be stumped for like days. Totally. Yeah. They'd be like, the doctor is a woman. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, whoa. <laughs> but anyway, that doesn't, that I wasn't shocked at all. Uh, I, I hadn't even remembered that scene, but I, it did nothing for me that it was a woman. Yep. And I really hate that woman's face as a side note. Like I just. It was weird. Yeah. The, 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 all the, 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 whatever the makeup was like they, I, it was mm-hmm. almost like when you have like a cake and you stick someone's head through like a, a, a table oh, yeah. and then you like, it didn't seem like a real body. Yeah. Like it was weird looking, like it was distractingly weird looking, but I don't know. Maybe that was the point. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't, I didn't think about her face too much, but I did. I do agree with you at the end that it was like, oh, I, I think they even treated it like it was a big reveal. Like, and it's a woman. And it's like pushing it, like it's pushing on his face and stuff. And yeah, it was a little. There was a like. Of, I don't think it was lame. I just don't think it was but, uh, as cool as it yeah. it is it is as as it once was. And I do think it once was cool. I think the thing that that suffer i think i think it was a problem at the time and i think it aged still aged poorly is that but especially by the time this movie came out there were so many vietnam movies yeah, yeah that when we got to actually fighting in vietnam i don't know if it was saying anything that hadn't mm-hmm. been said with apocalypse now it ripped off apocalypse it now. did it did in like, a lot of like places. the part when the film crew's going by and yeah. like the explosions like that scene happens just better in apocalypse now yeah. oh uh, casualties of war yeah. Platoon, like all, even like used the Good Morning Vietnam came yeah. out the same. Like the idea of a, like a take on the Vietnam War. There's been plenty of takes already, and that mm-hmm. boot camp part was a more interesting, unique take. While the second half was like, was yeah, just just, just not a very good version of stuff we'd seen before. It felt yeah. like kind of just an exhausting watch of just like a lot of stop start, like little vignettes. Little, not really a story. Mm-hmm. It's just like here's a little. Uh, but it wasn't like a, a thin red line where it was like beautiful boredom stuff. It was just. Yeah. Boring scenes. Yeah, there was uh, Ebert, who gave this a, a poor review, summed it up really well, where it's just a bunch of scenes that were very unsatisfying. And I felt like that was a great word, where it felt like yeah. every time I feel like I'm getting going in something in that second half, it just sort of stops, and now we're over here now, and like the guy in the, the chopper, it's like, that's not, and then like, I don't really care about any of this. It was all like herky-jerky, yeah. weird, just d- unsatisfying. I, not, not nearly as satisfying as that first half. After you know Sergeant Hartman dies, is that the, is that the drill sergeant? I believe, I, I think so because I think I have it yeah, in yeah, my yeah, notes. It's Hartman. Yeah. It's Hartman. And it's like basically, I I I was like, there was nothing interesting going on. I was completely unengaged. I did not give a shit about any of the characters. Like I said, like I didn't. I didn't necessarily care when fucking Cowboy died, and that's supposed to be a moment, right? Because we knew Cowboy from before. I just, there was nothing, there was no anchor for me. I liked when Cowboy and Joker saw each other again. Yeah, that was hard to see each other. I was like, ah, because, you know, when you're out in a different city and you see a guy you knew from high school, it's kind of a cool moment. Well, but then weirdly, the good looking guy comes up. And he's like, uh, like they're kind of alpha male. Oh, who it. wants to fight him? Yeah, yeah. And they're they're talking about going to rip you a new asshole. And he's like, only after you eat the peanuts out of my shit. <laughs> he does the John Wayne voice again, Modine. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, here? has someone told him that John Wayne is hilarious or something? Uh, I, 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 yeah. I mean, and I feel like. That's done on purpose. It's clearly done on purpose of like these, you're not supposed to care about any of these guys. That's how everyone at home was thinking about these guys Fair in enough. Vietnam. I mean, that's what I mean. There's a lot it of doesn't like- doesn't make for a good fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. The points are all, it makes for a good essay. I kept thinking, that's a thing that kept coming in my head. This makes for a better essay than an actual cinematic viewing movie, experience. Viewing yeah. where I actually have to sit and watch the story. You know what I mean? Like, like the idea of like, of course, it's all herky jerky and crazy because, like, in the boot camp, everything is very regimented and done, done perfectly. And then we get to the war, and everything's scattershot, and no stories start and end. And, and that's kind of how the Vietnam War was. And it's like, I guess. But yeah, my, my note is like, the major problem is that like after that first forty-five minutes, like, there's no good lead or per- like lead character or a personal story to follow. So it's like it's uncompelling, and we're just hanging out with boring characters lacking charisma and personal conflict or purpose. Yeah. Now, like you said, I think you, you summed up. Maybe it's better essay or like it gets you thinking about you know the nature of war. But as like a movie that I'm supposed to like being engaged in, I'm just like I don't give a shit about anybody. 
Which again is probably how you're. If you if he heard you say that, Cooper could be like, "Mission accomplished." Yeah, that's right? how people that's, feel about soldiers. That's how people feel about soldiers in Vietnam. And, you, and you're like, yeah. "Okay," you'd be like, "Well, entertain us, Kubrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my my money back." So, and you guys didn't like Modine. I did not. I found Mo. Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I didn't think he was bad. I didn't like. I, there was nothing that I just thought his character was completely uncompelling if he is the lead and that's the lens through which if we're supposed to kind of see this world through mm -hmm. Matthew Modine and it's like he's the funny one and it's like well he's not really funny and oh he's he definitely w wasn't the funny one yeah and it's like and he's not like he's not kind of bucking up against the system in any way that's compelling and I don't think he's like is he learning anything and maybe there are no lessons to be learned in war and some things I just was like if he's our anchor or he's our our fucking vessel into this world it's like, I'm not riding with this guy. Like, I don't care. Like, if he gets shot in the next scene, I, I'll feel nothing. Well, just like we were saying, like, when you're asking how come he became the the war, the war reporter guy, it felt like he was very empty. And and, and and I think Kubrick kind of wants his actors to fill in the, like, like D'Onofrio, we, we knew nothing about Gomer Pyle. I don't know anything about his background we were talking about. It. But he felt like a fully realized human being who his backstory seemed somewhat evident through the way he acted. And Modine just was sort of, it just sort of felt like he was kind of sleepwalking through the whole movie. It felt like now I'm here and now I'm with these guys and now I'm shooting. And now it just, it felt like he's just this sort of like emotionless avatar well, this I, wasn't very interesting. Yeah, I, I did have in my notes that I guess, and this would be like a, a check in what was good in that the, the the once they got to Vietnam is I, I did say it became mildly compelling when Joker, an animal lover, that's the good looking guy, yeah. uh, Adam Baldwin, Adam Baldwin, thank you, yeah. are deciding what to do with the injured. Wait, sniper. Adam Baldwin was in this movie. That's the that's the yeah that's that's animal, the guy animal mother the jacked oh, up guy. Oh, okay, that, he's not a Baldwin brother though. No, 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 right. no, no. Okay, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, some Firefly. Okay. Um, when they're deciding what to do, where he's like, "Leave her, let her bleed out and fucking die," and Modine's like, "Well, let's kind of put her out of her misery." And there's kind of a moment there where it's like, "Which which one is the alpha? Like, are you trying to take over my squad now that I'm the leader?" And he's like, "I'm not trying to take over the squad." At least there was like some real like interpersonal conflict and like tension where I was like, "Okay, like I'm genuinely like." It was the first time in an hour where I was like, how's this going to turn out? Mm -hmm. yep. That was the most interested I was in more than an hour. And, and you know, that wasn't even that interesting. But at least for the first time, I kind of was re-engaged. Yeah, I thought, and I thought Modine acted that part well. And I agree that Modine wasn't yeah. this extreme leader and he wasn't like the opposite of that. But that's how people are. But I thought he played that middle of the road kind of seemingly apathetic guys at some points and then really caring at others. He seemed like he wanted to kill, but then when they were about to fight, he's like, I'm not ready for this. Like, you know, yeah. I, I thought, I thought he did that. Well, okay. Did the I'm a Modine fan, <laughs> Pardon? I'm a Modine fan. Yeah. Uh, did the look of this movie, the cinematography, did it like elevate parts that you weren't enjoying as much on a story level because it was just such a, no, nah. I thought it was a beautiful movie. It looked a bit like a play, the war stuff. Yeah, like it looked man. like a really nice play. The stuff, the, the stuff in the the uh, the training, right, wherever that was, North Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina I believe. Like you know, like his framing's always like you know, and there's so many like lines and wide shots and all the beds lined up. Like all that stuff was shot really like well and Kubrickian, and and I was enjoying it. The war stuff to me felt the like, I, Shane, yeah, that was a pretty good way to describe it. Like felt very staged and set PC, and I also just think that. Without even, through no fault of Kubrick's, who made this in 87, we've all sat now through what, like, 
a dozen war movies mm-hmm. more than a few times and people have just done it better since then and like he's like 87 and it's only so i mean at the time we had already sat through a bunch of war movies yeah. like that and in 2017 it's only like exacerbated so watching it now it's tough to really be like wow i can't believe he shot that that battle scene so realistically i've seen like a billion battle scenes it's not enough it's not enough yeah. for me yeah well especially like yeah like we've seen movies like Black Hawk Down or Sniper or the yeah. Hurt Locker, Three Kings. Just action in the field is is just done so much better now than those like wide shots, close on like it clearly is a squib and the guy's next. It's like yeah. it's just it, it can't move you anymore, which is really no fault of Kubrick's. But I didn't think it was necessarily like beautiful, like Shane said, like the thin red line. Um Yeah. Like who do who do you think Dubois seems the best? Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, I mean, that was yeah. like that felt the first time that anyone felt like you were in it, you know, yeah. like, cause it was so unique. It's hard. Like, it's hard to rewatch that movie. Like mm-hmm. it's hard to like spend that first like half an hour where it's like, Oh, it's, it's just shocking. Yeah. The amount of the, the, the realism of what's going on in there. Yeah. So yeah, this movie kind of, to me lived in a weird spot where it wasn't realistic enough to where I felt like I was in it and it wasn't beautiful enough where I felt, felt it was beautiful. But the beginning, I did think was shot very well, and I was constantly thinking, like, "Wow, this guy's shooting this interior of this boot camp very well." Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. What did you uh, take from the ending, the Mickey Mouse singing? Boys and girls from far and near, you're welcome as can be. M I C K E Y M O U S E. Hit you in any particular way? It was remarkable in the sense that I go, "What's he trying to say here? Is it like is it the idea that the army and war is this corporation the same way?" That's that, how I got it. Yeah. yeah, like they're all yeah. musketeers, and it's all being sold. And like, I mean, I didn't put too much thought into it because, to be honest, I was exhausted by the end. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, but it stood out, and I go, "Okay, what's what is he trying to say here?" And this is my conclusion. And then I, I let it be and put on some. Well, I think he was the first one to ever popularize or or attempt putting a happy song during a violent scene mm-hmm. and he did that in um oh when when in in uh uh clockwork orange when clockwork they're orange, yeah. they're attacking right. a couple yes yeah. yes yes so i just and he was doing it in uh in uh i thought i thought it was one of his earlier movies because he did it in dr strange love as well oh he did yeah. well it gets cited as that being the first sure. yeah, yeah, time yeah. in montage anyway I, I was thinking he was pulling some shit like that where it was just like, we see all this gruesome stuff and then there's juxtaposition. Exactly. I, you know, what scene always stands out for me for that. It's a completely separate film, but I saw it in that pocket when I was like 17. I was like, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's the scene in Face Off when, <laughs> when, uh, when uh, Nick Cage, I believe, puts the headphones on the kid well, and listens it's, to the music. And yeah. it's, uh, I think it's, what is it, Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Yeah. And then they have this huge gun battle. In the There's loft. like doves flying Ex- and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a gun battle in the loft, but it's all kind of in slow motion to like, somewhere over there. Yeah. And it's like, like <gasps> and I was like, he is the greatest filmmaker of all time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, but yeah, so you just, you just thought it was like a juxtaposition thing, like sort of like. Yeah, I didn't think I was right, but I was like, yeah, I wonder what this means. I, you're, you've probably researched this, Pops? No, I'm, I'm oh. just curious. What you, I mean, I thought the same thing, that it was like a cor- invading Disney force. I wonder if it's about or the the two like it's war war is a business and a corporation much like the it was literally a fleeting quick thought and then and then I dropped it but and I thought if I had to say he was doing something more than what Shane's saying juxtaposition of what's the one song that would be the weirdest thing for soldiers to be singing the Mickey yeah. Mouse song I do wonder is, if Kubrick does that a lot where like I think it means it's like invading corporate forest and he's like I just thought it'd be a fucked up thing to hear at the end of a war movie well that like, song does kind of sound like something you would sing if you were marching also yeah and also and just the, 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 the i do think it reinforces 
and going all the way back the the child like, these guys are like kids like well maybe there's the maybe there is the disconnect the parallel no meaning like so it's like well what is like uh, Mickey Mouse and whatever you're selling to kids the idea of like oh we love Mickey mm-hmm, Mouse we want to mm-hmm. so you, so your audience is kids and you do it with this song right you hook them what is war it's in some ways oh, and, and the army indoctrination indoctrination that's very interesting so the idea is like these chants and the idea the brainwashing of the, army, the sort of the indoctrination of adults young adults as opposed to very interesting children one to ten I like that something like that I like it it's good. Or it was the only song I get rights to. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> the rights. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, guys, it is that time. Uh, we are deciding whether or not, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about in, that, in, in the, the, the Vietnam part or if you want to go back to the training. But My I- wife wanted me to point out that she thought the second half of the movie was unbelievable. And she has been sitting with me watching all these yeah. Kubrick movies. And she thought... This was the best movie by far of all the movies that we've watched. And the second, she felt the second part was much better than the first part. Wow. She She's thought, not just trying to be a contrarian. No. She, that's what I was like, come on. And she's she like, was no. wearing her Mouseketeer yeah. hat. Yeah. Well, she said she's... that everything is like, every, there's no wasted lines. Every single thing is a very poignant point about, about uh, the, the ridiculousness of war and insanity. And she's like, and the, the, mea- the banality and meanderingness of it is exactly how. The point. The point of the movie. Sure. And she's like, yeah. And I do wonder, and we've thought, talked about this many times, if if we didn't think of uh, this as a Kubrick movie or some like master made it and we just threw on, here's a movie that some guy made, would we have been as critical or am I, am I because I'm searching for the point? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I know question. when I'm not being entertained. So I think <laughs> he gets more of a benefit of the doubt because he's Kubrick. Maybe. Whereas if some mm-hmm. Joe Schmo made this. Again, the first 45 are undeniable. Yeah. Yes. There's no way anyone's not going to be disappointed by the second half after the first half. Yeah. Maybe that's a good point. Yeah. And, but, and maybe that could be it. Yeah. Okay. But this is considered an all-time war movie by many people. Um, it is obviously made by a master, someone that most people consider the greatest filmmaker of all time. Uh, we need to decide now if this should stay on the pedestal. Is it something that we would recommend that when people say, hey, man, like, what's a great war movie? What's a great Stanley Kubrick movie? Does this movie belong on that perch? And we will start with Johnny. Oh, no. Someone else go first because I actually don't know my answer yet. Woo! I want to hear. I, like it. I want to hear. Lucy, baby. Are yeah. we allowed to split the first 45? <laughs> God. <laughs> well, no. I really. Here's the thing. You want to say, yes, it belongs on the pedestal. Just so future children can enjoy the first 45 minutes of this movie. But overall, they're going to be bored out of their minds by the end. It's a long <sighs> film too. It, I just feel like maybe we just throw on Saving Private Ryan instead. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. What are you guys watching? <laughs> so this is the hardest decision of all I you've think. ever made in your entire yeah, life. Yeah, I made a lot of doozies in my life, but this <laughs> takes the cake. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say let's take it off the pedestal. Whew. Interesting. All right, I'll go. Um, I might, I would ask the same question. Could we split up the first? And I, I probably ultimately would say yes on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. But for, I mean, for the same razor-thin margin that you were the idea of you have to watch the first A, you have to watch the first 45. B, I feel like it's important to kind of see all his movies. I feel like mm-hmm. he doesn't have a act. I'm not a big Lolita fan, but even then, like, I feel like 
he doesn't have a huge misstep in his entire career, and it feels like it's important to see one of the masters. But it is, it's why it's why I'm glad we did this one as opposed to others, where it is probably the closest to being knocked off. But I'm, I'll say yes. You're keeping it on. Keeping it on. Whew, man, I didn't know I'd be this the hammer, the swing vote. Yeah. You know, I, I was very, very tough on that second half, or I guess more than half. Um, and I think for good reasons. And, and I, I don't think it's, I don't think that second part belongs on the pedestal at all as a war movie, as really anything, you know, uh, like other than this is a movie that was made about war in 1987 and it was made by a master. So check it out because it's part of his catalog. Like we've all said, that first 45 is undeniable and incredibly iconic. Um, unfortunately, you can't tell someone just watch the first 45 minutes. A whole movie is a whole movie and this movie is two hours. And so one, you know, not even half of it is is belongs on the pedestal so for that reason i would not recommend this to like an average sort of movie goer mm -hmm. um it's really tough because it's like are you a super film fan well you should watch it because it's kubrick and that first 45 mm -hmm. is great also like are you like really into war films well watch it because it's in the canon of like sort of what's considered great right but you well, know you're dithering it is tough you know <laughs> yeah. yeah it is tough, tough. You know, and fuck him for making such a polarizingly tough. I uh, no, I would not recommend this. I'm knocking it off the pedestal. I don't. I, I don't even think it belongs on the pedestal of great war. I can think of like four movies about war that I would recommend before this one. So I can't put this on the pedestal of like great films. Wow. But I'm just go. one man. So if listeners are huge Kubrick hey, fans, no. you might you might have a reason why I'm a fucking moron. You'd probably be right. Uh, well, we're admitting this is a very tough Yeah, decision. it's tough. Yeah. I would say. And yeah. it's subjective. I would not recommend this to anyone I can really think of. You know, other than are you a film student? Watch it to have an opinion. Yeah. All right. So it's not on. Wow. That's... I know. But it was very difficult. What? Oh, well, she's leaning in. I believe it's time to close the book on that one. He got it this time. <laughs>